Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. 16. 16. Now, as I ask this question, I don't want you to raise your hand. So don't raise your hand. I'm asking this as a rhetorical question for you to think about. Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever doubted your salvation? Have you ever wondered if God somehow stopped loving you? especially after maybe you sinned in a major way and you think to yourself if I was truly a Christian I wouldn't have done that I wouldn't have sinned like that and so maybe you struggle with assurance of salvation and that struggle leads to feelings of doubt feelings of anxiety maybe even feelings of despair and during those times you lack joy Maybe you're bitter against God. Maybe God is distant. And maybe during those times, your prayer life is really lackluster. It's dry. You don't pray. And you don't have that peace that passes understanding. You fret. You worry. You're anxious over the difficulties of life. You lack assurance of your salvation. There was a point in my life where those types of things described me. When I was a high schooler, God had clearly called me to pastoral ministry, very distinctly. I was called to pastoral ministry as a high school junior. Then years later in college, God reconfirmed that call on my life. I know he called me. He put a burning passion in my heart to go into pastoral ministry. But then I got sidetracked in life. You see, it was in the mid-90s that I was in a period of dryness. I was a worship leader at my dad's church. I was a volunteer youth pastor. I was going through the motions of what it meant to be a Christian. I was going through all the motions. You see, I wanted to be a film and video producer, director, writer. I actually wrote a screenplay. thought we were going to pack up our family, drive to Hollywood, make a name for myself. That never happened. Instead... I was working retail, nothing against retail, but I was working in retail pretty much at a dead-end job, the same job I had as a freshman in college. I'd been promoted to assistant manager at that time. But it was during that period in my life that I was joyless, I lacked peace, I didn't pray much, I was going through the motions of the Christian life, and I was wondering to myself during those years, am I really a Christian? Because if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to struggle. You're not supposed to doubt. You're supposed to have your entire life mapped out. Exactly, right? Anybody? Anybody here ever doubt? Ever get anxious? Have your whole life mapped out? And then on a Sunday morning, God got a hold of me in a very powerful way. My dad was preaching. I don't even remember the sermon my dad preached. I, if you ask me this day, I don't even know the text he preached from. All I know is that in that worship service, under the preaching of the God's word, 
I had a renewed sense of God's presence in my life. I had a renewed sense of peace, a renewed sense of joy, and in those moments, I began to confess sin. I began to confess my selfishness. I began to confess my disobedience, and I began to tell the Lord, I have been disobedient. I need to surrender my life to you once and for all right now. And I was impacted in that worship service. And so we're driving home, and I'm just driving. We had a long way to drive because it was way part north of Colorado Springs. We lived almost downtown. And I started bawling, just bawling in the car, swerving off the road because I couldn't see. No. Um, and I looked at Don, and I just began to pour my heart out and say, We've been dis- I've been disobedient. I've not been listening to the Lord. I've been selfish. I've led our family to a wrong direction. Please forgive me. I've asked the Lord's forgiveness. Uh, Something's got to change in our life. I surrender to Jesus once and for all um, in this process of of listening to his call. And Don looked at me and said the most powerful words I will never forget. I know, Sean. I've just been waiting for God to get a hold of you. And I'm thankful for his work in your life. Now let's move on. There's nothing sweeter in this life than to experience the joy and peace of Christ's presence and to have the assurance of your salvation. Now why do I bring up these issues of assurance of salvation, doubt, joy, peace, fear, all these things. Why do I bring this up? Because Jesus tackles it head on. And what he's about to tell us as he closes down this very lengthy discussion that started all the way back in chapter 14. The last half of John 16, Jesus is bringing this conversation to a close. We've been listening to this conversation for for a few months now. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. In chapter 17, he's going to go off by himself and pray in the garden. And what has Jesus been telling them over the past few chapters? He's going away. He's going to come back. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to them and all the teachings we've been looking at at the Holy Spirit the past few months. He's going to indwell us. He's going to live inside of us. He's going to empower us to be able to witness. He's going to um, testify to the truth. He's going to convict the world. He's going to guide these disciples to write the scriptures. He's going to help us to be able to understand the scriptures. All these wonderful things that the Holy Spirit is going to do. And in the midst of all that, Jesus says, listen, the world's going to hate you. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trials. There's going to be persecution. And so what I want you to think about this morning is put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. The emotional state they're probably going through. They're confused. They're not fully tracking with Jesus. They've been with him for three years, and this language about him leaving, this language about him suffering, all of this stuff is not computing in them, and they're probably in in an emotional tailspin. They're doubting. They don't understand. They don't understand the full scope of what's just going to happen in a few hours when he gets arrested. They're fearful, they're confused, they may be sad, they're expected. All these emotions happening at one time, they're lacking assurance. And Jesus wants to drive home one primary truth before he goes off by himself to pray. And he wants to give these men assurance. 
He wants to give these men comfort. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be buried and rise again, but before he does that, he wants to give his men one last truth. And so let's dive in and hear the words of Jesus. In John chapter 16, starting in verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Jesus says, A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What's this that he's saying to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I'm going to the Father. So they were asking, What does he mean by a little while? We we don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves by what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because, he's loved, because you've loved me, and I believe that I've come from God. I've come, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Here's the primary truth of this passage of Scripture that Jesus drives home to us. You can experience solid assurance because of the death of burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ you can experience this solid assurance now this is a beautiful passage of scripture where Jesus is going to give assurance he's going to give comfort he's going to give encouragement to these men but before we dive into this passage of scripture I want to just remind you of two things two truths that tie everything together Truth number one that we need to remember is that everything that Jesus is about to say or promise to them comes as a result of his death, burial, and resurrection. 
In other words, Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to purchase for us these blessings and he's going to victoriously rise again and, and all these blessings are going to come to us by virtue of the fact of his death, burial, and resurrection. So that's very, very important. You can never t- uh, divorce Christ's blessings from his work. So it comes as a result of his death, burial, and resurrection. But number two, casting a shadow over this entire passage of Scripture is everything we've been seeing up to this point, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit. These blessings, these promises, by virtue of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will come to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So so here's the bottom line. All these blessings that Jesus is about to give us, you and I cannot experience apart from his death, burial, and resurrection and apart from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's gonna be sent to live inside of us to give us these blessings. So question is, what are these blessings? What are these ways that Jesus comforts us? How does he give us assurance? Well, let me give you three this morning. Three ways, three beautiful ways, I think, that Jesus gives us assurance of our salvation, assurance of his power, assurance in him. What are these three ways? Here's number one. Blessing number one. They all start with I. I had to do alliteration this week to help you remember. So here we go. Indestructible joy. Indestructible joy. We see this in verses 16 through 22. Now, we'll get there, but notice Jesus says a little while, verse 16, and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while, you'll not see me. Now, he's sort of speaking in cryptic language to these men. They're confused. What are you talking about, Jesus? In a little while, we're going to see you, and in a little while, we're not going to see you. Where are you going? What's going on? Jesus is talking about his impending death. He's saying to these men, listen, in a little while, I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to be buried, and you're not going to see me. You're going to be like, Where's, where'd he go? What happened here? They're, they're not going to understand what's about to happen here in a, in a few hours. But then Jesus says, and again, you're going to see me. He's going to rise from the dead. So he's talking about his, his death, burial, and resurrection just in, in kind of mysterious language. They're, they're confused. They don't understand what he's talking about. And they're looking at each other and like, I, I don't really don't understand what you're talking about. And Jesus says, I understand you don't understand what I'm talking about. Let me tell you the truth here. Verse 20. Truly, truly. Or maybe your translation says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Men, I'm warning you now. You're going to weep and wail like a funeral when you see what's about to happen to me. When you see me betrayed by a kiss from the guy that you lived with for the past three years, Judas. And when you see me tried by sinful men in this kangaroo court, and when you see them pulling on my beard and putting a crown of thorns on my head and mocking me and spitting on me and beating me and then crucifying me, you're going to weep and you're going to wail and you're going you're to be confused and then they're going to put me in a tomb and then you're really going to weep and wail because you're going to think to yourself, was it worth it? Because we followed this man for three years and he dies a criminal's death and then he's dead. Was it worth it? You're going to weep. You're going to wail. You're not going to understand what's happening. You're going to see me die before your very eyes. Because in their mind, a Messiah wouldn't die that way. In their mind, Jesus was going to come in on a white horse. Their Messiah was going to kick Rome out of power. He was going to set up his his, his kingdom in, in Jerusalem and rule and reign like an earthly king. That's what they were expecting. And the world, what did Jesus say about the world? Hey, the world's going to rejoice. 
when they put me in the tomb, the world's going to stand up and applause because we finally got rid of this guy. Can you believe that? The world's going to clap when Jesus goes into the grave because he's gone. We're rid of him finally. These Jewish leaders, we got rid of him. He's dead. He's been crucified. He died a criminal's death. He's buried. He's gone. That's the end of it. Everybody's weeping and wailing. The world's standing up and cheering. And Jesus gets the last laugh because what happens three days later? He rises from the grave. You will see me again. And that weeping and that mourning and that lamenting, all of those emotions that you experience when you think I'm gone, it's going to turn to joy because you're going to see me on the other side of the grave as the resurrected Christ. Your hopelessness, man, your despair, your anguish is going to turn into joy. Look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. It's very similar to what Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 31, 13. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Their mourning would be turned into joy at the resurrection. And then Jesus gives this metaphor about childbirth. I've never given birth to a child, okay? I just admit that, okay? Let's get my cards on the table. Never done that. I've witnessed the birth of both my sons, and I know what it's like for my wife to go through labor. Some of you new moms, it's very close to your heart. But what does Jesus say? When you're going through labor, it's painful, it's anguish, it's not fun. But then what happens? After nine months of discomfort, and maybe a few hours, or depending on how many hours of labor you have, it's painful. But when that baby's born, what do you do? It's worth it because I have a baby in my hands. All that nine months of pregnancy, that that momentary time of labor, it was painful at the time, but now it doesn't matter because I've got a newborn baby. Jesus says that's the way it is with the resurrection. But notice what verse 22, very, very important verse. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus says, I'm going to give you an indestructible joy. It's going to be a joy that nobody can take from you. It's an indestructible joy. It's an unbreakable joy. It's an unending joy. Now, what's the, what, what, the question is, what's joy? It's really hard to define, but I think you know what it is when you don't have it. I'll give you my best guess, my best shot. It's kind of my definition. Some of you have asked for it over the years, so um, I'll speak slow so you can write it down or you can get a copy of the sermon notes afterwards because some of you are like, what's his definition of joy? Okay, I'll speak slow. Joy, I think biblically, is that deep-seated, deep-seated sense of contentment and peace in God's sovereignty regardless of our circumstances and where we absolutely bank on God's promises to be God to us no matter what. So it doesn't matter about your circumstances. You could have the worst of circumstances and still have joy. Joy does not depend upon circumstances. Joy is deep-seated. Joy is a trust in God's sovereignty. Joy is a resting in God's ability to be God for you no matter what's going on in your life. Notice that Jesus does not promise that they would be happy. 
hey guys, you're always going to be happy. That's what the health, wealth, and prosperity false gospel will teach you. Hey, just become a Christian, you'll have a stress-free life of no problems. Let me just tell you something about the reality of that. And there's a Greek word for that my dad taught me a long time ago. It's called baloney. I've been your pastor for over 12 years. And I've witnessed firsthand many of you go through times of extreme anguish. I've done funerals for your loved ones, for your spouses. I've been at the hospital praying with you. I've been in your living rooms where you've poured your heart out in anguish. I've had you sit in my office and pour your heart out to me in anguish. So I've seen anguish. I've seen the reality and pain and heartache of living in a fallen world. So I'm not going to sugarcoat life. Life is painful. Life hurts. There's, there's sorrows. There's weeping. There's lamenting. There's pain. There's sadness. But in the midst of all that, what does Jesus promise? In the midst of all that, he's going to give you indestructible joy. No one can take away this joy. Jesus gives it to us, and it can't be taken away from us. And how's he going to purchase this joy for us? By going to the cross. It's a resurrection type of joy. And it's independent of the world. Notice what he says about the world. You also have sorrow, verse 22, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. The world's not going to be able to take that joy from you because the world can't give you that joy. See, a lot of people look to the world to give them joy. The world cannot give you joy. The world can give you fleeting happiness, temporary happiness, temporary pleasure, but the world cannot give you joy. Only Jesus can give you joy and what Jesus gives you, it can't be taken away from you. So he's going to give you this joy that cannot be taken away. It never can be taken away. And here's one of the saddest realities I often see. A joyless Christian. And it grieves me when I see those who profess faith in Christ, who are bitter, overcome by guilt, and they never experience the joy of the Lord as their strength. It's almost an oxymoron to have a joyless Christian. So when the realities of life hit you like a freight train, and they will, when those realities hit you, you can rest confidently in the finished work of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and he's going to give you joy, and nobody can take that joy from you. Because Jesus gives it to you, and it's indestructible. It's an indestructible joy. That's number one. We could just stop right there and say, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. That's awesome. But there's two more. Here's number two. Here's blessing number two. Intimate access. Now, what do I mean by intimate access? If Jesus gives us indestructible joy, he also gives us intimate access to the very throne room of God. We see this in verses 23 through 29. We can't miss this because this is the fourth time Jesus has told us about the importance of prayer. Okay, notice what he says there in verse 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, go back to chapter 14 for a moment. Chapter 14, a few months ago we looked at this, verses 13 and 14. This is the same conversation Jesus has been having, so we're going to backtrack in the conversation. 14, 13, and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, first time. Jesus says ask in his name. Okay, go to chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask, ask, ask. Second time. Okay, go to verse 16 of chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, a fruit that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now we come to chapter 16, verse 24. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be filled. Ask, ask, ask. It's very similar to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, listen, you're not going to be able to ask me physically for anything anymore because I'm not going to be here. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to ascend up to the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to be the one mediator. It's going to be the go-between between you and the Father. So because of my death, burial, and resurrection, you're going to have direct access. You're going to have intimate and direct automatic access to the Father in prayer because I'm the mediator. I love Hebrews 7.25. One of my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews. Consequently, he, that's Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because Jesus always lives to make intercession by virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can draw near to God in prayer. We can have that intimate access to the very throne room of God. 1 John 2.1 My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, let me just tell you how we pray as Christians. What is Christian prayer? Here's Christian prayer. We pray to the Father... In the name of the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Trinitarian praying. Now, it doesn't mean you can't pray to Jesus or you can't pray to the Holy Spirit, but, but generally speaking, the way that Jesus teaches us is that we pray directly to the Father in the name of the Son, through the merits of the Son, through the, through the gift of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. Now, in verse 24, when Jesus says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be filled. Ask. That's what we call a present tense verb, which could be translated, keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Continually ask. Bombard God with your request. Ask, 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 ask. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. This is the same way. Pray without ceasing. Ask, ask, ask. Pray, pray, pray. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And notice how Jesus makes the link between prayer and joy. You see the, the reason, the outcome of our asking? Look at the end of verse 24. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask. Keep on asking. Pray continually. Keep on asking. You will receive that your joy may be full. Think about how much joy comes in answered prayer. 
Aren't you thankful God answers prayer? How much joy comes in prayer? I can tell you the times that I've experienced the most joy have been when I've been in prayer. You've had those times, haven't you, where you're just, you're, you're in prayer and you're praying to the Lord and, and you're, you're, you're pouring your heart out to the Lord and I can't explain it, so don't ask me to explain it, but you just have that sense of peace and joy that comes over you. He floods your soul. He gives you that joy in the presence of the Lord. It fills your heart immediately. So we have that intimate access. We have that indestructible joy. Verse 28 is key to this passage. Because verse 28, Jesus' mission in one sentence. If you want to know the mission of Jesus in one sentence, he gives it in verse 28. What does he say there in verse 28? He goes on and talks in verse 25 through 27 more about this intimate access that we have to the Father through prayer. But look at verse 20 to 28. I have come from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. So, I've come from the Father. Jesus left the glories of heaven. He came in the incarnation. God in the flesh was born of the Virgin Mary. He left heaven to come to earth. What was his mission when he came to earth? I've come into the world. Notice what he says. I've left the Father. I've come from the Father. I've come into the world. Why did Jesus come into the world? Was it just so he could be a good guru to walk around and tell some good things? You know why Jesus came into the world. What was his mission? John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did Jesus come into the world? To die on the cross, to save us from our sins. So he left heaven, came to the earth, died on the cross, mission accomplished, rose again, and then what does he say? Mission accomplished, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to ascend back to the Father. I'm going to go sit at His right hand as King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to be the one mediator. Mission accomplished. I came from the Father. I came to the world. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to go back to the Father. Now, these men are men. They're cowardly men. What does Jesus say is going to happen to them? Look at verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Jesus says, listen, when this happens, when they come and they arrest me, and they come and they start doing these things to me, you're going to start thinking to yourself, hey, if they do that to Jesus, they're going to probably do that to me. So these guys are going to bail. They're going to bail on Jesus. They're going to desert him. They're going to run away. They're going to be scattered. It's like what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 31, this prophecy. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You're going to bail on me, guys. That's okay. I don't need you. What does he say? At the end of verse 32. I'm not alone. The Father is with me. So Jesus says, guys, listen, the hour is getting close. And I'm going to give you indestructible joy. I'm going to give you joy that no one can take from you. It's indestructible. And I'm going to give you intimate access. You're going to be able, by virtue of my death, burial, and resurrection, you're going to have intimate access into the very throne room of God. You can pray. You can ask. You can continually ask the Father, continually pray. And he's going to answer your prayers according to his will, and it's going to bring you joy. 
But there's a third thing that Jesus says that he's going to give them. Blessing number three, immeasurable peace. Look at verse 33. I've said these things to you. Okay, I've said these things. What are these things? Well, some scholars say it's the immediate context of what he's just said, or some scholars say it goes all the way back to the conversation that started in chapter 14. Take your pick. I tend to think it's the entirety of what Jesus has just said. Everything Jesus has said for the past four chapters, he's crystallizing it down into this final statement to these men. All these things I have said to you for the express purpose of what? You may have peace. Notice very carefully what Jesus says there in verse 33. Read it carefully. I have said these things to you that in me, in me, you may have peace. Where's the peace come from? In Christ. Number 6, 24 through 26, the ironic blessing from the Old Testament. It's that great blessing that we want to hear as believers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, peace. Now, you may ask the question, what's peace and how is it different than joy? Peace and joy are different, but they're intrinsically linked. I don't know exactly how to explain this, so I'll do the best I can. Joy, I think, has some type of affectional, not strictly emotional, but I think joy is one of those things that comes deep into your heart that gives you that sense of of affection for Christ regardless of what your circumstances are. Not totally emotional, but I think it's, it's, it's a little bit more subjective. Peace, on the other hand, I think has two aspects to it. I think it's objective and it's subjective. Objectively, peace really means this. You are no longer at war with God. You are no longer at odds with God. You are no longer separated from God. You're in a right standing with God. It's an objective reality. It means that you've, your sins have been forgiven and that you stand in a permanent position of forgiveness. Now, I want to read to you Romans 5, 1 through 2, and I want you, I was, I was, I was amazed as I was reading Romans 5, 1 through 2, because re- I read this all the time. I've read, I spent a lot of time in Romans 5, I love Romans 5, and I just never caught this before, but Paul, in Romans chapter 5, as I was doing study this week, he addresses all three of these issues. Joy, access, and peace. And I'd never seen that before. Exactly what Jesus is teaching us, Paul reiterates it. So see if you can, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the emphasis where you can underline it in your Bible when you see it, okay? So here we go. Let's read Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. I gave it to you. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul says, listen, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have peace, you have access, you have joy. What did Jesus just tell these men? By virtue of what I'm about to do and going to the cross, you're going to have indestructible joy, you're going to have intimate access, and you're going to have immeasurable peace. It means that you're going to have this right standing with God permanently where your sins are forgiven and you stand accepted before God Almighty. It's an objective reality regardless of what anybody says to you, regardless of what the accusations come against you, you have peace with God because of the blood of Christ. 
objectively. But yet, there is a subjective or a feeling-oriented aspect to joy. Because Paul addresses that in Philippians chapter 4, 6-7. There is a sense in which the Holy Spirit will come in moments in time and minister to us peace that can be felt or experienced. Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Joy comes in the middle of sorrow. Jesus here is very realistic and says peace is going to come in the midst of tribulation. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat reality in the same breath. What does he tell them? Verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have. Not you might, not you may. You will have tribulation. It's a great Greek word. It's philipsis. It doesn't mean, oh, you're going to have a minor headache here and there. You're going to have a few issues. That Greek word means you're going to be pressed. You're going to be squeezed. You're going to go through some really hard times in this life. Go back to John 15, verse 18. What did Jesus already tell them? In this conversation, just one chapter earlier, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world's going to hate you. You're going to go through tribulation. Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat. He says, listen, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. But notice what he says there. Take heart. Take heart. Literally, in the Greek, be courageous. As I was studying that this week, I'm thinking, be courageous. Reminds me of what God told Joshua. Remember when Joshua was about to take the armies of Israel across the, the Jordan River? What did God say to him in Joshua 1.9? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus says you will have tribulation. And notice what he doesn't say. Notice what he doesn't say. Hey, guys, you're going to have tribulation, so you better get your act together to figure out how you're going to deal with this. You better pull yourself up by your bootstraps and muster up enough strength to be bold in your own power because if you're not courageous enough, if you're not super-duper courageous, if you don't muster up enough courage here, I'm not sure if I'm going to be with you. Get to work, men, at mustering up the courage. It's all on you. Is that what Jesus says to them? What are his last words before he goes off and prays by himself? Take heart, I have overcome the world. Nike. That's where we get the word Nike. It's the Greek word nikeo. It's the only time John uses it in the gospel. Jesus has overcome the world. Now, it's very interesting. It's in what we call the perfect tense, which is theologically important. It means that at one point in time, Jesus overcame the world. 
2,000 years ago in his death, burial, and resurrection, he overcame. But the effects of that last into the presence, which means it's a continual, ongoing overcoming. It's an overcoming that happened 2,000 years ago, but we stand in that overcoming. So Jesus is going to overcome the world. Now, to those listening during that time, to a watching world, what are they going to think of Jesus when he's hanging on the cross? That's the stupidest display of idiocy I've ever seen. That doesn't sound like overcoming to me. Because to the Jewish mind, when somebody was hanging on a cross, it was evidence that you were damned by God. You were cursed by God. So the Jews are going to look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say, that, that guy is cursed by God. He deserves to hang there. To the Gentile or to the Greek mind, when somebody's hanging on a cross, they're thinking to themselves, only criminals hang on crosses, only slaves hang on crosses, only outrageous lawbreakers hang on crosses. And so to the world, Jesus hanging on the cross would be the ultimate in weakness, the ultimate in in, in just anything that would be opposite of overcoming. But Jesus says, I'm going to overcome. So when he goes to the cross, he's not going in fear, he's not going in apprehension, he's going knowing exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be victorious over death, victorious over sin, victorious over the devil. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory, same Greek word there, through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what were his last words? It is finished. And they buried him in a tomb, and the world laughed because they thought the Messiah was another failure. Uh, He's just a common criminal hanging on a tree. He was delusional. He had a few followers. He's dead. He's gone. He died a criminal's death. He was obviously cursed of God. He's out of here. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave, victorious over death, victorious over the devil, victorious over sin. And because of that, he can give you this indestructible joy this intimate access and this immeasurable peace listen to what first john first john uses that same word nikeo or nike first john five four through five for everyone who's been born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that jesus is the son of god Jesus overcomes the world. When we're connected with Jesus, we overcome the world. We're victorious. One of my most favorite passages of Scripture, the most powerful, most beautiful, most poignant passages of Scripture that tells us about the victory, the assurance, the hope, the joy, the access we have through Christ is at the end of Romans chapter 8. You're very familiar with this, but let me just read it to you. And as we listen to the words of Paul, let this be an act of worship. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor the things to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May the truth of this scripture go deep into your hearts this morning. And let me just say this, if you're here this morning and you don't have these things I've been talking about, you're here today and you, you know deep in your heart, I, I don't have joy. I don't have joy. You know deep in your heart, I don't, I don't pray, I don't really have access to God. And you know deep in your heart, I don't, I don't have that peace. The reason you don't have those things is because you don't have a relationship with God. But you can. If you repent of your sins, if you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ, you will find his arms open wide and you will find a Savior sufficient to save you. Call upon the name of the Lord today. Be broken in humbleness. Confess your sins. And trust yourself to the one who can save you. So here's my prayer for us, Emmanuel. I want us to leave today with a solid assurance. A solid assurance in Christ. Where you can go out of this place knowing deep in your heart that you have an indestructible joy that no one can take from you. That you have intimate access to the very throne room of the Father and that you have immeasurable peace. And only God can give that to you. Would you rest in that solid assurance? Would you be encouraged? Would you be comforted? That's Jesus' purpose in these final words to these disciples, to comfort them before he goes to the cross. Would you be comforted this morning? Would you be encouraged by the words of our Savior? Let me ask you to bow your heads as we pray. Lord, the first group of people I pray for are those in this room that don't have a relationship with you yet. They're not believers in Christ that today they would be under such conviction of their need for a Savior. And they would own up to the fact of the emptiness inside of them and the sin that separates them, that they would cry out to Jesus for forgiveness so they can experience that joy, that access, that peace. So, Father, would you save sinners this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
drawing them to the, to the Father. Lord, the, the second group I want to pray for is if there's anybody in this room that's just lacking assurance of their salvation this morning. Maybe there are those in this room that are lacking joy. Maybe there are those that are lacking that prayer life, that, that access. And Lord, maybe there's some here that just need the peace of God to guard their hearts, the peace that passes understanding. Lord, however you need to minister, Lord, you know hearts, I don't. And I trust, Holy Spirit, that you will minister this morning to people that need ministry. So we come today, Lord, thankful for the joy of the Lord being our strength. We are thankful that we have intimate access to you in prayer, that we can ask, 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 that our joy may be full. And Jesus, I am so thankful that we have peace because you have overcome the world and nothing can separate us from your love. And we are more than conquerors. Will we go out in the victory of this message? Will we go out in the confidence of this truth? Will we go out encouraged by your words, Jesus, to us? Because you are our Savior. You are our Lord. And to you we owe absolute allegiance. It's in your name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.